Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. Yes, as Mike said, the reading is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Now this psalm, Psalm 27, is all about fear and worry and anxiety and how to overcome it. The the solution, the one thing solution to anxiety. You see, there are are a lot of pressures in in, in life today. There are, are many crises, various crises that we're having to deal with all the time. We have a a crisis at school, a crisis at work, a crisis within our friendship circle, a crisis within family, and so many different issues we're dealing with. And so it's so easy today to become full of anxiety and fear. And so we hear a lot about well-being. And we we were encouraged to, to practice mindful, mindfulness, mindful techniques. And, and all of these things are very good and very helpful. Uh, but it seems to me, and, and I know this is a massive simplification, but it seems to me that all these techniques are effectively saying the thing you are worried about may never happen. 
Why worry about it? Why waste all that time worrying about something that may never happen? And of course, there's a lot of truth in that, that it may never happen. And so they would suggest rather, rather focus on all the good things that are happening in your life. Rather visualize a future that is satisfying and focus your mind on that. Visualize that and think about that. But that's not what David does in this song. In fact, David does the complete opposite. He, he says in verse 10, Though my father and mother forsake me. Now there's no indication here or anywhere that his father and mother had forsaken him. And, and he says in, in verse 3, Though an army besiege me, though war break out against me, he doesn't say an army has besieged me. There's no army. There's no war against him. Now what we can discover from the context, David is facing opposition. In verse 12, we discover that there are people who are making false accusations against him. So he is facing opposition, but there's no army attacking him. His parents haven't forsaken him. What he's effectively saying is, even if an army besieged me, even if war broke out against me, even if my father and mother forsake me. Do you see what he's doing? He's doing the exact opposite of what mindfulness techniques would tell you. He's envisioning the worst possible situation. He's imagining one of the worst possible things that could happen to him. He's doing the exact opposite. Why? He wants a strategy for life. He wants a strategy for dealing with anxiety that will stand up to anything. So even if an army attacked him, even if his mother and father forsaked him, he would be able to say it as he does in verse 1, Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Or in verse 3, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. You see, he has a strategy for dealing with anxiety that will stand up to anything. Who would like to know that strategy? Yeah, I sure do. Okay, here it is. Verse 4, he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. Imagine that for a moment. You can ask God anything but just one thing. You, you can ask for anything. What would you ask for? Health, wealth, fame, fortune. Okay, let's put a little context. You, you're having a really difficult time. There's a lot of pressure. There's a crisis at work or at school, and it's really affecting you, and it's making you really anxious. What do you ask for? For the problem to disappear? For that difficult person to leave? For those who are causing all the problems to get what they deserve? What would you ask for? David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. So he asked for three things, to dwell, to gaze, and to seek. Now you may be thinking, but wait a second. Didn't he just say I asked for one thing, but then he tells us three things. Is this kind of like when the genie says, what do you wish for? And you say, I wish for three more wishes. No. All three of those are intimately connected and are effectively saying the same thing. What does he mean when I say, may I dwell in the presence of the Lord, the temple, all the days of my life? Does he literally want to live in the temple? Like, like has this just become so stressful being king that he just wants to pack it all up and become a priest and hide away in the temple? Because only the priests, in fact, only some of the priests would literally live in the temple. And no one except God would live in the Holy of Holies. So what is he asking for? He's effectively saying, I want to experience the unbroken presence of God in my life. God, I want to experience your presence in my life always. He goes on to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. What does he mean by that? Does he want to get some kind of uh, you know, vision to, to actually see what God physically looks like so he can admire some of God's physical features? No, of course not. God's spirit. God's not physical. What does he mean? He's asking to just be blown away by the awesome power and majesty and holiness of God. He just wants to be blown away by God's goodness, God's grace, God's love, God's compassion. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord is to come into the presence of God. But it's more than just coming into the presence of God. It, it's, it's actually experiencing, knowing God's goodness in your life. Experiencing His grace and His love and His compassion in your life. That's to gaze on His beauty. And then he says to seek Him in His temple. He wants to seek God's presence. In, in verse 8, he says, My heart says of you, Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. I can remember as a very young Christian reading this verse and then praying, God, I'm seeking your face. I'm seeking your face. And, and I, I was kind of hoping I was going to get a vision of God so I would actually know what his face looked like. Uh, and, and, of course, I never got any vision. Uh, and eventually I gave up feeling quite despondent. Is this what the verse is about? Seeking God's face is about coming into His presence. But it's more than just coming into His presence. It's coming face to face with God. It, it's, it's knowing Him intimately and personally. So, for, for example, if you were to go to a concert to watch someone play the piano, when you're at the concert, you're in, you're in their presence. I mean, you, you might be in the front row, so you're right in their presence. But you don't know them. It's only when you come face to face 
and you have a conversation with them, that you'll start to know them. And so David is saying, I want to come into your presence. I don't just want to be in your presence. I want to be face to face with you. I want to know you intimately. I want to know you personally. I want to know you experientially. Seeking God's face is also seeking God's favor. If God turns his face towards you, that means he's looking upon you with his favor. He's looking upon you favorably. If God turns his face away from you, it means he's no longer looking upon you with his favor. He's not pleased with you. And so that's why David goes on in verse 9. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. He, 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 he doesn't want God to be displeased with him. And so he says in verse 11, teach me your ways, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. He wants to do the will of God. He wants to please God. He wants to experience God's favor. And so come in, seeking God's face is, is to, to be in the presence of God and to know God face to face, intimately and personally and experientially, and to, to live for God, to do His will, to experience His favor in your life. And so what does David actually mean when he says, one thing I ask? I mean, because actually, if you read the psalm, you will discover that he asks for lots of things. So what does he mean when he says, I ask for one thing? He means this is the most important thing in his life. This is the one thing, the central thing in his life. This is what he's living for. This is his whole life is revolved around this one thing. And that one thing is God. And when you're living for, and when the one thing, the central thing in your life is God, that's the secret to having fearlessness. That's the solution, the one thing solution to anxiety. Why? Why is it the remedy? Why is it the solution? Well, what David is effectively saying here is my fears are direction, directly proportional to the vulnerability of the one thing that I'm really living for. If the one thing in your life is God, you're safe. If the greatest joy in, in, in your life is, is God, if God is your greatest joy in your life, then you will live without fear. Because nothing can rob you from your relationship with God. You see, if when things are going wrong, everything's going wrong, you can say, I, I know everything's going wrong, but as long as I have this one thing, everything will be okay. If that one thing is anything other than God, you will be filled with anxiety. Because everything except God is vulnerable. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It will be taken away. Where does anxiety come from? Anxiety comes when we take a good thing and we make it a one thing. We have lots of good things in life. And, and, and we, we desire good things. We love good things. They're good things. Parent and child, it's a good thing. 
Having a career is a good thing. Romance is a good thing. Sport is a good thing. There are all sorts of good things. We have all these good things in our life, but when we take a good thing and make it a, the one thing, that's when anxiety comes. When we suddenly go, this is the one thing I, I have to have. If I can't have it, I can't live. And when we take a good thing and we make it a one thing, we start seeking it desiring it, gazing upon its beauty, adoring it. And we think, I can never be happy. I can never experience joy unless I have this one thing. I, I can't live unless I have this one thing. And as a result, we become full of anxiety. Now, anxiety, having some anxiety is a good thing. It shows that you're a caring person. But devastating anxiety, an anxiety that floors you and devastates you, that's a sign that you've taken a good thing and you've made it a one thing in your life. And if we have anything as the one thing except God, we're vulnerable and we will lead to devastating anxiety. But when the one thing in our life is God, knowing God, knowing God face to face, intimately, experientially, pleasing Him, doing His will, living for Him, then we all have that one thing solution to anxiety. And, and doesn't matter what we face, we'll have a strategy for facing anxiety that can stand up to anything. And it doesn't matter what the world throws at it, we will be able to say, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And we'll be able to say, like David says at the end of the psalm, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When God is your one thing, you'll have that absolute confidence of seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That means now. That means even in the midst of crisis, even in the midst of everything that's going on, you can experience the goodness of God. The problem hasn't been resolved yet. That's why he goes on and says, wait for the Lord. He's still waiting for God to intervene and sort out the problem. But even in the midst of the crisis, he can experience the goodness of God and he can have absolute confidence, a sure and a certain hope that God will ultimately put all things right. And that's why he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He has absolute confidence and hope, sure and certain hope that God will put all things right. It might not be in this life, it might be in the next but God will put all things right. In January 1956, five missionaries decided to go to the jungles of eastern Ecuador to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with a very primitive tribe. They, they knew it would be extremely dangerous. They, they knew they were taking their, their lives into their own hands, and so... Before they set out, they prayed. 
And as they were entering the jungle, they, they sung the hymn, We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy tender, as in their keeping tender, we rest on thee, and in thy name we go. When they arrived at this primitive tribe, the native Indians killed, murdered every one of those missionaries by spearing them to death. Everyone was killed. And you might be thinking, oh, well, so it doesn't work. They, they, they all died. They all got killed. It, it, it clearly doesn't work. Oh, no, it does. Because when your one thing, your one non-negotiable, the one thing that you really want, the one thing that you're seeking and desiring is to gaze upon the beauty of God. The worst thing that can possibly happen to you, someone throws a spear through your heart and you die, means you get to gaze upon the beauty of God in a whole new level, in a whole new way that you've never done before. Nothing can rob you. From the love of God. Or as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's simply nothing you can be afraid of. The most well-known of those five missionaries is a guy called Jim Elliot. And he's famous for a lot of quotes. One of his famous quotes is, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, all of those missionaries were promoted to glory. They're home with Jesus, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord because their one thing was to seek his face. That's not the end of the story. Years later, other missionaries went to that very tribe, shared the good news of Jesus with them, and many of them put their faith in Jesus, including those who had killed, murdered those missionaries. That's how we know all these details. We know it firsthand. And so we need to ensure that the one thing in our life is always God. Knowing God, knowing God's presence, knowing Him personally, intimately, and experientially, and doing His will, pleasing Him, living for His favor. Because when we do that, we will have a strategy to deal with anxiety that will stand up to anything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, May we all be able to say that the one thing, the one thing in my life is to dwell in your house and gaze on your beauty and seek you in your temple. And Heavenly Father, we confess that often we, we drop the one thing that is important. We confess how, how often we relegate you to a, to a lower number in our priority list. 
And we confess that many, many good things have become our one thing. Father, please forgive us. Please help us to reshuffle our priorities to ensure that you are always our one thing. And then help us to find our confidence in you so that we may say, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, abgavenibaptist.co.uk.